There's plenty of evidence suggesting our world is broken. There's an endless supply of stories circulating about how society is fragmented and the environment is being destroyed. Tuning into these narratives can deliver a sense of despair, but just beyond that is a request for our participation in the holistic, ecological well-being of our planet. Nature reminds us that we are not the problem, but rather that challenges arise when we shy away from our humanness. The invitation is to engage more fully with the Earth, our ecosystem, our communities, our families, and our true selves. This podcast is about rewiring our minds and recalibrating our vision to see the possibility in what's alive at this moment. It's about writing a new story that is neither ignorant of the upheaval happening in these times nor inherently fatalistic. It's about acknowledging the fact that we are living in a landscape of great evolution and about creating spaces that support us in exploring this uncharted territory without fear. The perspective we share challenges us to view the world as unbroken. It requires us to be fully present and uphold our values as we give reverence to the innate wholeness of nature. It also guides us to focus on the ways our own empowerment is tightly woven with our capacity for healthy decision-making and our willingness to take conscious actions as human beings. The conversations we have here are raw, heartfelt, and sometimes controversial. May they provoke you into remembering the animal god within. We are Davide Zimolo and Stella Roback, and we welcome you to The Wandering Below, Messages of Healing for an Unbroken World. Welcome to episode three. Today, we're going to talk about how to anchor new beliefs into our own minds. Last, the last two episodes, we talked about medicine, different modalities and different uh, healing paradigms. And today, we want to present you with this question. How can you adapt a new paradigm when you've lived your whole life following, probably unconsciously, another especially if you want to adopt the wise earth paradigm that we talked about last time, which isn't as widely supported in our culture. So last time we talked about all these, uh, these uh, three healing paradigms, and uh, we mentioned that um, Stella and I feel most supported by the wise earth tradition. However, um, it can be very challenging in this world to have the tools and have the mindset uh, needed to enter wholeheartedly the wise earth paradigm um, as I said especially you know if you've been uh, living your life uh, very much focused on one of the other paradigms and especially if you've done that very much without awareness that you are doing it it might be very very hard to just jump into the wise earth tradition so in this conversation today we wanted to explore some um you know some tools and some ways that can be um you know a good way to make small changes to enter into the wise earth tradition and share with you what uh we've tried and what we've experimented and i would say that it's honestly challenging to adopt any new belief it can even be a belief that you see reflected around you I think changing your mind about something 
like you need a lot of support to do that. It's sort of like training. Like if you've never run a marathon and now you're trying to train for one, it's going to be hard for your body. It's the same with your mind. If you're you're trying to adopt something new, you'll need a lot of support and maybe it looks like internal support like maybe it's you giving yourself pep talks about why it's important for you to adopt this new system of beliefs um or it can be external support and getting in touch with people who have similar beliefs and spending time with them not because you have to believe the same things as your friends but because if you are in a period of transition you might need that extra support as you start to kind of solidify your new way of seeing things. Yeah, so today we're going to talk about uh, a few rules that we found useful um, to ground this paradigm into our lives, into our daily lives, you know, because it's, (laughs) um, thinking about the uh, wise earth paradigm, it's, it's easy to believe that that is the, most aligned paradigm or what works the best or what's the right one for us in most situations but you know when a complex situation comes up and something that challenges you comes up you know believing that everything is inherently whole you know can be hard to keep that belief if you don't have daily practices or rules and you know small things that you can refer to to anchor you down into these new beliefs. Um, yeah, so we're going to talk about some uh, rules. Um, you know, keeping in mind that these are not set in stone, of course. Uh, they uh, It's what we tried and what worked for us, and they serve... Um, think about uh, them serving as um, helpful assumptions to have when encountering a challenging situation. Yeah, so we're calling these rules just because we apply them in our lives as rules, but they're, they're definitely not like laws of the universe. They're not even necessarily true, um, but they're, they are good to to like assume ahead of time like if you try to see the best in people until proven otherwise like it just sets you in a certain mood that helps you encounter people in a more I don't know positive way or in a way that helps you seeing them whole helps you keeping your center and seeing yourself as whole Um, so it's things like that where it's like we're gonna go through these and share with you how we see things or like how we are applying these so-called rules but like I just I want to give the caveat that it's like it's not always true that everyone is always doing everything with integrity you know so there's like there are patterns coming up for people and it's like this is not to brush it off and say love and light will heal the world like this is about being real and if these things help you then then they help you right that's it it's not any better than something that doesn't help it's like just use the tools that are useful for you right now and um yeah so with that being said 
these are assumptions or they're called presuppositions from um, the modality of neuro-linguistic programming or NLP, which was sort of like a cool, like, manifestation type of movement in, I want to say the 80s um, when it or the early 90s. And it was kind of like, it's, it's really a sort of brainwashing, just the same as like manifestation techniques that we have, you know, coming up today are really just programming your mind to see things in a different way. Um, so, yeah, and it's um, basically, mm, I mean, I mean, neurolinguistic programming. I mean, I've there's you know teaching still happening like courses and things, seminars online, that, and there's a lot of um, material online that if you're interested into actually learning all the, uh, you know, um, all the nuances of this uh, modality, you can go and learn uh, for yourself. Like we learned a little about it but it's not today we're not talking about this uh we're just um using some of these presuppositions that they um present to step into like to use them as a uh, way to enter uh communication and relationships with uh, more integrity and more awareness and uh in you know being whole so um, basically what's uh, neurolinguistic programming says that there's a connection between neurological processes, so what's happening in your brain and in your neurological system, language, so the way that you speak, the way you form sentences and the way you communicate verbally, and with uh, learned by behavioral patterns, so how you behave, what you do in certain situations, and what you don't do. Um, the idea behind neuro linguistic programming is that you can, you know, behind these, uh, you know, these patterns can be changed. So you can reprogram your mind through exercises and, you know, different ways so that you change the way you communicate, it change you the way uh, you show these patterns in your life. And, you know, this is applied system that is applied to personal development i mean uh probably if you've been in you know circles that uh talk about pers uh you know self-growth or self-help personal development you might have heard of neurolinguistic programming even psychotherapy uh this is traditionally used in uh but it can also be uh, used in everyday uh conversations and everyday life for communicating yeah and it's um, even if you've never heard of it, you have been subject to it. <laughs> like, uh, it's really interesting if you can, like, get into a rabbit hole about this online. There, There's all kind of, like, conspir conspiracy theories about, like, politicians have been trained in NLP and, like, newscasters and all kind of stuff. It's really interesting, but it's kind of like... If you talk a certain way, you will think a certain way, and then you will behave a certain way. So if you can change the way you think, then you will change... Like, if you can change the way you think through the way that you communicate, then your behaviors will also change to reflect that. So you can see how this is a powerful tool for 
adopting a new set of beliefs um, and why you would really want to do it with intention because you might be subject to this every day and like, you know, you're listening to the news and it changes how you act and how you feel and stuff. Like you can actually, you have the power to do that inwardly, like turn that that tool in toward yourself and and see how you can change the way that you speak. I mean, a few episodes ago, we we brought up, I think it was our spring check-in, how we've been working with, like, just instead of saying, I have to, saying, I get to, and then, like, working through emotions that come up when you change the, the verbiage to say, like, I get to, like, I'm so lucky that I get to do this. And, like, that's that's one way of using neuro-linguistic programming in a conscious way. Like, we've decided to change the way we talk about this so that our lives change, too. Yeah, and why did we use, why did we choose to um, use these presuppositions, uh, you know, coming from NLP in this context of talking about how to adapt and how to implement how to live um, according to the wise earth uh, wisdom paradigm well I think or we think that it's they are useful tools and they're useful tools especially when it comes to building relationships into communicating into relating and ultimately to build community so you know, the wise earth paradigm is really, you know, talking about nature and wholeness and ecology connection. So, you know, there is a connection there. So what are these uh, NLP presuppositions? Um, So there are a bunch and we're only going to talk about a few of them that we apply personally. Um, There are like I don't know, 10 or 12, maybe a few more. And um, we're just going to go through a few and give some examples. So the first one we want to talk about is the idea that everything orients toward its innate wholeness. Hmm. So this is obviously like you can see how that's related to the wise earth tradition. If you listen to our last episode about that, um, And in that episode, we kind of talked about it in terms of health and well-being. But there is, I mean, you said this is like applicable to ecology and community. Like it's not only about individual health. It's not even only about the healthcare system. It's about all of life, all of biology, you know, all of the universe, really. Like things are inherently whole healthy and well that being healthy is being at home that all of those things are all those terms are interchangeable health wholeness home healing um so you can see also how it's like maybe not necessarily true right it's a presupposition or a supposition an assumption we suppose that this is possibly true It's not about determining whether it is or not. Like, I mean, definitions of health differ from person to person, from moment to moment. 
Um, but what happens if we assume that everything is innately whole and that every motion, every movement, every action is taken directed toward that inherent wholeness? So, like, what's an example of of how things unfold in a way that's always orienting toward wholeness? Well, I see it as, you know, the tree will always orient itself toward being a tree. Mm. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of stupid to put it that way, but I think believing this or using this as a supposition, like everything orients towards its innate wholeness. So when you communicate with someone, you always assume that they are doing what they have to do in order to be whole. Mm -hmm. So you don't assume that they're doing it wrong and you think that it's not that what they're saying or it's not the best thing that they could be doing to be who they are. Right. The best version of themselves. Like there's, it's assuming in communication, in creating community, in relating to others, having that assumption that everyone, everything is orienting themselves to being whole and the whole that they're meant to be. Yeah. And I think like when it comes to, I just thought about what if you are not in the active stage of orienting towards something? Like what if you're, it's not your action that's reflecting your wholeness, but a step before your action is your desire. Like even your desires are oriented toward wholeness. And we have to trust that. Like there's nothing you could want that could be unhealthy for you. For some reason, if something comes up and you want it to be part of your life, it's because it's going to serve you. Like your imagination is fertile. So if you have thought about something or dreamt about something and you want to go in a direction, even if you haven't yet moved in that direction, just having that idea or that desire come up is like a maybe potential energy version of the manifestation of wholeness. <laughs> you know, other in other words, what's inside of you at this moment is whole, even without needing to take action. Hmm. So to go back to what you said, like a tree being a tree means the tree is being whole. It's always right. being itself. And, you know, whether it's it's growing its buds or it's dropping its leaves in the fall, I mean, all of those are correct for the tree. It's just context is different, environment mm. is different, nutrients are different. Yeah. Um, and I think that leads us to the second one, right? Yeah. And I would like to, I think, to go to this one next because it's, uh, I realize it's very connected, which is people are always doing the best that they can with the resources they have available at this time, which is connected to the idea of doing, you know, orienting yourself toward wholeness, right? Because it's like, okay, I do... I, this is what I have available. Like assuming that everyone is doing their best, mm -hmm. assuming that people 
even if they have limited resources or they have a lot of resources, but these can be monetary resources or physical resources or emotional resources, energetic resources. They, if you assume that everyone is doing the best that they can, you can relate to others in a very healthy and supportive way. They, you know, imagine yourself talking to someone or someone talking to you and you feel like they acknowledge that you're doing the best that you can. Mm-hmm. That like freeze, like n- no freezes, they f- make you feel free mm-hmm. and they connect. There's a connection there. Like you feel welcomed and there's deeper connection there happening. What do you think? Yeah, I think you can see how this one also applies to nature, right? Like, I mean, you said people are always doing the best they can with the resources they have available. That we we can assume that's true about people because you're right. One, it it makes us connect with each other better. So even if it's not true, but it forms a deeper connection between us and it bridges any perceived gaps and then we can move forward and figure out oh maybe you you don't have everything you need or like maybe you're you're not doing the best that you can let's work through that but we're not going to get there if we have a disconnect between us so there's that but it's also like the tree is doing the best that it can with the resources that it has available you know like the birds like if they if they don't have food to eat like they're not going to be able to fly so we see like if there's a bird flying overhead bless that bird ate something that gave it energy to be able to fly and and also help in the greater ecology right it has a place um yeah i guess there's not a ton to say about this one no um so let's move on to the third one so the next one is behavior and change are evaluated in terms of context and ecology. This is a very interesting one, I think, because, uh, again, it zooms in to relationships, to communication. And within any type of relation, any type of communication, whether it's human or natural, like in, uh, um, you know, like human, like social or can be between plants or animals in the wilderness there is always um, an exchange and there's always different behaviors and different things that change let's say different behavior entering that relationship and changes that come from that relationship and the assumption here is that we have to evaluate these behaviors and these changes based on the context and the ecology of where that uh, relationship happens. Right. So the context being the environment, um, which can be the physical environment, the land that you're living on, the water that you're drinking, the emotions running through the air when you're trying to have the conversation and then ecology which is bigger than that right right which which is like how all living beings relate to each other 
I mean, I guess it's context and ecology are maybe synonymous, but it's bringing that natural element into it to see that the weather impacts us and, you know, like the seasons impact us and the other plants and animals living around us impact us and are impacted by each other and just like I mean yeah it can be applied socially to humans socially to animals and plants and bacteria I mean like it can be applied biologically right and there's no and this you know it connects us back to the wise earth tradition where you know we're inherently whole and there's no villain and there's no bad thing there's no good thing there's no duality because based on this presupposition you know a behavior is not bad it just it depends on the context and the ecology like you know imagine throwing punches to someone you know you can say oh throwing punches is bad and that would be let's say you know maybe for a different like paradigm but like throwing punches is not inherently bad if you go and throw punches to people on the in the street for no reason, the context like you are you know you evaluate the context and that's like detrimental for the ecology, detrimental for that relationship. But if you are uh, punching someone, I don't know, can be as an exercise because you are sparring for like boxing with someone, or you are protecting someone. And using your punches as a way, as a beha- a protect a protection behavior, then you know, evaluating that action, that behavior in that context, it makes sense. It's like a behavior that is socially accepted and that makes sense in the ecology. And even change is the same. Behavior and change are evaluated in terms of context and ecology. So change is like not necessarily one singular behavior but it's how you are different now than you were from a month ago and is that good or bad we don't know it depends on your context and ecology Mm. what's been coming up for you in your life in your personal life in your relationships in your health in your relationship to nature to spirit to god to your resources your financial situation like all of those things impact how you change from day to day and if you evaluate that over time and look across a month or a year and say this is how much i've changed am i changing in a good way it depends and Mm. what does it depend on it depends on you being in your given context or environment and you being you ecologically relating to what's around you what's the next one so the next one is there is only feedback So this is um, easy to see in communication. If you're talking to someone or relating in in some kind of way and they react or respond to you in a way that you didn't expect, if you maintain that it's only feedback, all it is is giving you information. So if you're trying to talk through something challenging and someone is raising their voice or getting heated about it, that's feedback. That's information for you. And they might be, they might not say like, this made me so angry. Can you help me deal with that? But they're just screaming at you. 
And that might feel bad to you, but if you can sort of neutralize it in your mind and see that, okay, this is not personal. They're not, they're yelling at me, but they, they're not really yelling at me. They're just taking it out on me. And like, again, like I said earlier, the caveat is like, this is not to support traumatic or traumatizing behavior, but it's like bringing awareness to the situation. Like if it's only feedback, someone can be yelling at you and telling you that you are wrong and you don't understand anything. And what you hear from them is they are hurting because something made them upset. And like, like check how you feel about this. Cause if it makes you think like, well, they don't deserve to be communicating with me then, or I don't deserve to be treated that way. That's all valuable feedback from within yourself. And just take that as the information that it is and take action on that. Yeah. And yeah, it makes sense. You know, it's getting that feedback and like in every situation, the response that you get, take it, don't, you know, not taking it personally allows me or allows us to be free in the way that we, you know, accept or enter the world with a different, the understanding of the world with a different paradigm. Because if we take things personally and someone says you're wrong, that you, it's, you know, and you take it personally, then you can easily fall into, oh, they're bad and I'm good, or I'm bad and they're good, and this is wrong, mm-hmm. and I need to fix it. I need to, I need a medicine to fix it, or I need a thing to fix it. I need someone else to fix it. I need, instead, you know, we're talking about ways to help us stepping into the wise earth tradition paradigm. And this one is useful because it, you know, it, it empowers us to be whole and be able to receive all the feedback, process it, and then act on it. And then thinking back to like our last episode or our last two episodes when we talked about medicine and health a lot. So we used a lot of examples about like physical health primarily um, and thinking about there's only feedback in terms of physical health is really important too, because it's kind of like, instead of, uh, I have a stomach ache and now I'm victimized by the pain that I feel, or, uh, I ate a bad food and now I have to cleanse myself and get the toxins out of my body and make sure I don't eat that again, or make sure I don't go to that friend's house because they always serve me that food and they didn't warn me that there was something in the food that I couldn't eat or, you know, it just pits you against everything and everyone. And that's super lonely. Um, and it might be true that there's a certain food or a certain trigger that's causing specific symptoms and you don't like experiencing those symptoms and all of that is valid. And also, wouldn't you rather face those things in community than facing those things thinking the only way for you to be healthy is to to stay alone and to fight those bad things off by yourself um so there's only feedback would say that 
there's something happening here and it doesn't have to mean anything more than the the request that your body is giving you that I need to rest or maybe I need to drink some ginger tea or I need to get some fresh air and sunlight. It's a request from your body. It's just feedback. Like... Yeah, you can ask the question, what nourishes me? If you receive that as a feedback and not as a fight. Right, it's not punishment. It's just information. And and the, the other thing is, like, we are all cycling as natural beings do. Like, we are all in different stages of our lives. And... You know, like we're going to go through different processes of health and well-being, and that's going to look different at different times. Um, But I think there's a tendency to, like we talked about with the heroic paradigm, to try to avoid illness. and, And really the underlying belief there is to avoid death and like to be afraid, like if something comes up in your health. Um, Just like if something comes up in your relationship and you're like, oh, God, are we going to break up now because we got into a fight? Like, am I going to die because I have a stomachache? It's like, take a breath, take it easy, like things end and there's grief to be felt there and maybe fear and guilt and other things and and like feel those things and thank the experience for the the depth of feedback that it's giving you because it's not just evaluate the situation and take action every time evaluate and take action it's it's also like being present with what's here and the feedback that's here might seem like a physical symptom but it's also showing you so much about your emotional state and your beliefs about the world that there's so much to be grateful for even in that experience Yes, and yeah, and there, the feedback, the presence of the feedback is an invitation, right? As you said, to be present and welcome that feedback and use it to find a thing that nourishes you. Bless. So the next one uh, says this: the map is not the territory. This is another one about context. Another one about connected to feedback too, where it's, you know, the territory. Like if you imagine yourself going out, you have a map of a landscape, you go. If you only look at the map, you will stumble. Like you have to connect to the land. You have to connect with what's there to actually be present, be whole and relate to others in a healthy way and in an effective way. If you only use the map and the rules and the limitations given by the map, then you fail to actually relate to the territory and understand the nuances that are in the territory. Yeah, and just looking at things through the lens of the map, you know, it's like the figurative map of like, you know, pulling out the paper and and you see like, okay, I take this road and it brings me to that road and whatever. Um, But also the, the, 
the real life application of that, which is seeing a problem in front of you or a situation comes up that's like, okay, this is, this is a calculation that I can solve. Like I can do the math for this instead of reducing it down to some symbols on a piece of paper that represent the path that you're taking or solving for X in the equation. It's a whole beautiful world out there and you'll miss it if you're looking down at the map, at the paper, if you're reading the book, if you're following the rules. Um, And it's also not effective to do that because it's such a rich landscape around you. Like it's such an abundant landscape. Um, And it applies to people, of course, too. So like in your relationship, if you are seeing the person as like, okay, I know that every time I have been in a conversation with someone and that other person starts crying, they're going to close up and not let me in any further. And it just kind of deadens things. And then it's going to be a couple days of like awkward situations. And then we come back to like neutral. And that's your map. And that's your map because you that's what you've seen. And so you will treat that person as if you assume that's going to happen. And now you're afraid of making that person cry because you know the rule that when your mom cried, she would give you the silent treatment after that. So don't make her cry. Or your friend or your dad or whoever, when you were a kid. So you developed that map, you put it in your pocket, and you took it with you everywhere you went. Instead of seeing the complexity of the the person in front of you or the situations in front of you right now, like the projects you're working on, they're different and they're always evolving. And even if you've been in relationship with the same person for a long time, like, I mean, your mom who used to cry all the time, like maybe she's been doing some work that you don't know about Mm -hmm. and now she's not going to get mad at you and give you a silent treatment just because you did something that made her upset. Like people change and things evolve and like that's living. Like that's, that's why we're here. And it's something to celebrate. So like keeping your eye on, on what's really in front of you and not what you believe to be there or not what you've seen before. So the last one we want to talk about is the law of requisite variety. The person or system with the most flexibility of behavior will control the system. This is very interesting, I think, because it presents the idea that you have to be flexible. And the leaders are those that are able to adapt. I mean, it's natural how do you say it's uh, the survival of the fittest or whatever? Uh, yeah, natural selection. Natural selection. Uh, that's what I was thinking. Where you adapt, you thrive. You learn how to nourish yourself, and to you know to be nourished in different contexts by adapting your behavior and being flexible then you will be fit to lead. You will be you will be healthy. 
you know, doesn't necessarily mean that you have to rule the world, but it's, you know, you can be comfortable crying, you can be comfortable laughing, you can be comfortable very, being very strict and making logical decisions under pressure. You can do all of that, then you will control the system. Yeah, and why do you want to control the system? It's like if you want a world that looks different than the one you live in right now, then it's it's in your interest to control the system. It's not demanding something from the system or um, wasting resources. Like, I mean, those are beliefs that you might have. And the reason I'm saying those things is because I've had those beliefs too, right? So I kind of associate controlling the system with being controlled. And like, it's a bad thing or a scary thing if someone's going to control the system. But we want to do something different. That's why we're doing the work of, you know, having these conversations and questioning the beliefs that we've held for our whole lives and potentially implementing new ones and making more ecological decisions, being community-driven and being open to relationships, like, you, you'll want to be able to direct things to where you know they need to go, not because you are inherent, an inherently controlling person, but because by guiding the system where it needs to go, you will then open the world to new possibilities. And so if you are the one with flexibility in your behaviors, you are able to do that. And what that looks like is you, you're able to communicate with different kinds of people depending on the context. And you can meet them where they are. And you can also you know, you can thrive in different environments. And like you said, like know what nourishes you and, and get that. And then it's, you know, survival of the fittest, but it's a, it's a social model too, that allows you to, to reach more people. Like, I mean, how can you build a community without being able to have the flexibility to reach different people? If you're only able to communicate with people who are just like you that's going to be a really limited bunch of people exactly right and being i think being flexible change like adapting your behavior to different situations allows you to be whole allows you to be aware of what's happening be grounded be embodied and being present in the world and fulfilling your role in the ecology because you're, you know, if you're there, you're present, you adapt. If it doesn't work out, then you go somewhere else, you adapt somewhere else. But you are not using your mind to put boundaries to certain things. You are allowing the idea that there is nothing bad that I have to avoid. But then I engage with that, I adapt and then I adjust if I need to. Yeah, I mean, living living whole is occupying your full range. So even like when it's when we say 
adopting flexibility of behavior or adopting different behaviors at different times based on context. It's never about abandoning yourself and mimicking the other. It's about testing yourself and kind of like maybe breaking through your perceived boundaries about what you're capable of. And like, it doesn't have to mean that you are changing your personality to be around people. It could mean that, like, if you intend to be different around different people because you maybe you don't like how people see you, so you want to show up differently. But I think most people who have struggled with, like, feeling like they have different personalities around different people are not necessarily doing that consciously. And that's a challenge for them. And the point in this is is to actually go deeper into being yourself, not becoming further from yourself. And so it's like realizing that you can actually be a lot of things and do a lot of things because really underneath it, you are whole. And it comes back to that. Like I am whole and I can show up whole in a lot of different ways. I can show up healthy in a lot of different ways and it's still me in there. It's still me having the flexibility of different actions that I can take. I am able to adopt. I am able to adapt to different situations because I have flexibility of activity. Exactly. Empowered, connected, and whole. You become very flexible, very able to adapt. I think with this line we can conclude and end this episode uh, which was I think pretty dense of uh, ideas and thoughts and agreed um, yeah thanks Th- for listening thank you and see you next time bye bye bye